Will you pray with me? God, the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word is eternal. Plant deeply in our hearts your good news, O oh God, from scripture and song and sermon, so that we might bear your fruit in this world. Open our eyes and our hearts to what you say. Amen. When I was about 10 years old, my parents got up real early on a Saturday morning because I had to watch a wedding on TV. I had no idea who these people were. It was a guy named Charles, a woman named Diana. And I remember there was a lot of pomp and circumstance. And she came down to Trumpets Volunteer. And I'm wondering to myself, my 10-year-old self, why am I watching this wedding? Um, later on, as I grew up, I realized this was a very important family. And that everything they did, if, if it was dramatic enough, it would make the nightly news. The breakup of Charles and Diana. William and Harry. Diana going on to do a lot of humanitarian work on the continent of Africa. I remember my, our first year in, uh, in, in ministry when we were in Meridian. We were, we were on the beach uh, uh, there for just a couple of days. And that's when Lady Di was killed in France. During the pandemic, when you couldn't gather, I watched every episode of The Crown. Why? I did. I was enthralled. We Americans love the royal family. Y'all realize we fought a war to get away from this family, right? <laughs> to get away from the monarchy. We don't want that. We don't want somebody telling us and taxing us and all that. And, uh, and now we just love them. Now, why is that? Why is that? I mean, why do we keep paying attention to something across the Atlantic? I wonder. Probably for lots of reasons. And maybe you say, Bruce, I'm not very interested in them, so that must be a weird thing that your family did. It, it might be. It might be. But one might be this. We can't get enough of other families' drama because it makes us feel a little bit better about our own drama, you think? Maybe that's why we pay attention to the Kardashians or all these things on TV. They may not write a book or do a Netflix about your family, right? But I bet your family is every bit as interesting and roller coastery as the royals, maybe. Family is challenging, is it not? It's not easy. It's beautiful and it's awesome. But the wounds and the hurts from our early childhood experience will go all through our lives and last for generations. A book I read about a year ago called My Grandmother's Hands talks about how our bodies actually live out our trauma in our family. And he says that our bodies live out our trauma 14 generations long, that you're bearing that out in your body. Oh, that's a long time. So 
these seemingly small nicks and cuts, right, that you may have experienced growing up or maybe just recently from the people that you most love can grow into really, really big, big, hard things if left unheeded or untreated. The family unit is both a major blessing. I bet you can say that you got some of your resiliency, some of your creativity from your stories of origin, your early family. Maybe it's, maybe it's your dedication to a certain craft or something. You might have gotten that. But it's also a source of a lot of major burdens that sometimes keep coming up in your life if your life is anything like mine. Family is one of those things that can affect every other facet of our lives. In other words, we're talking about boundaries this month. And boy, if we never get our family boundaries life right, get the fences around our family issues, then it's hard to get a boundary around anything else. And if it's hard to put boundaries around anything else, it's really tricky to know what it means to be a disciple. Because we keep falling back in those same cycles, right? They say, or raise your hand though if you're from a normal family and that this really doesn't relate to you. Any hands? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? They say that the definition of a dysfunctional family is a family in which there is more than one member. So we're all in that club. Why? Because none of us are perfect. And if we're not perfect people, we're going to be part of imperfect groups and organizations, and even imperfect families. I'm about to work with about 20 other clergy in our conference. And to help them work through the stress and anxiety of what it means to do ministry in such a bizarre and strange time. And for me, what has helped me in my journey as a pastor is that I draw a lot from the good parts of my family experience, from the good things that I glean from my mom and my dad and my siblings and my cousins and my grandparents. And it helps me realize that I'm more than what I do or how effective I am or how successful I am or whether I had a good day or a bad day. You know, I'm still a case, you know. I can still go to Brookhaven and hang out with my dad, you know. And that helps me. My family, for all its imperfections, gave me the faith that I belong to God. And I'm always grateful for that. Well-being is tied partly to your family. And to your stories. And to your ups and downs. And to your wounds. Your scars. And the good things as well. Family is both a blessing and a burden. Now, how can I make the most of my family? That's maybe what we're talking about today. If I can relook at my family and rethink about this, how, how, can I, how can I fight well or handle conflict well? How can I use my family to set boundaries or to help teach them how to set boundaries, to help others do that? Where we're free to love, not out of a sense of guilt, but out of freedom, right? Where we have the space to know where our boundaries are. You know this as well as I. You know, if you get wounded by somebody who's not your family, well, you know, your feelings may get hurt, all that kind of stuff. But man, to get wounded by somebody in your family, that, that runs deep and that's hard. It takes a lot of work. 
Remember these things, just two or three things. Number one, family is the foundation of Scripture from the very beginning. God did not choose to begin the reconciling work and the redemption of the world through an army or a nation, but through a family, Sarah and Abram, right? God made covenant with Sarah and Abram, and they were far from perfect. But God dreamed of salvation coming from a family. So God entered into covenant with us. And boy, it wasn't long till things went sideways. That there was a lot of lying going on and deceiving. And there was a lot of hurt and even violence. Through this family, things went south. And uh, it seems like... You know, in Scripture, it's like lather, rinse, and repeat, you know? I mean, look, go through, read the entire Bible and tell me if you can find one family that's functional. And you can't. It's really, really hard to do that. In Mark 3.21, it's a variation of what Alex read today. Families looking for Jesus. They're a little bit concerned. They're not quite sure what his mission is. They do not understand why he changed his major and his, you know, whatever. They're like, what is this guy doing? He's talking about this kingdom and he's teaching and he's healing and he's got all the religious elite all mad at him. So they go and they come for Jesus and they can't get to him because he's so popular and they send for him. Jesus says, hey, tell my mom. Tell my brothers, who are my family? Who's my mom but my brothers and sisters but these around me? It's a little more, in more sharp contrast in the Gospel of Mark. In, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, His family thought that he had gone out of his mind, that he was crazy. Jesus' family talked about this. The, the Savior of the world, even his family, didn't understand him. Sometimes got in his way, made him roll his eyes like sometimes we do. It says they were trying to restrain Jesus. It sounds like they were trying to, you know, I don't know, just, I don't know, bound him up and, and drag him back to the house that he was an embarrassment to the family. So what's the good news? Well, here's the good news. God did the work of redemption and deliverance through the dysfunction of families. There is hope. There is hope. In the Old Testament, a little bit before Joseph, remember we did that series just a few months ago, Joseph's granddad was Jacob. And Jacob and Esau were twins. My mom was a twin. They were twins. And it said they struggled and wrestled in the womb. They came out of that womb just fighting, right? Jacob was good at cooking, you know. He hung around the house, and he was mama's boy, right? I won't last a show of hands of the mama's boys in here, but he was mama's favorite. Esau was a hunter and gatherer, and he was just good. He could, he could knock down a buck and skin it and come back, and, you know, they'll be. But he was dad's favorite, right? But mama sort of manipulated things so that Jacob could escape with most of the blessing, most of the money. Oh, there's always a little finance, you know, that, that'll always get a family going, right? And so he left with most all the inheritance because they tricked their dad into blessing Jacob the younger and not Esau the older. And so Esau 
was mad, mad at his brother. He said, when dad dies, I'm killing you. That's what he told Jacob. And of course, Jacob said, I'm out of here. And so he heads out with all of his stuff. He runs for the hills. Jacob builds a family. He uses that money to build a fortune, and he does. 20 years later, think about that, 20 years later, God tells Jacob to go home and go see his brother. Jacob's walking home. He's a little more than worried. You can read it there. It's a Genesis 18 to 25. He's a little anxious, wondering what his brother's going to do. What will Esau do to me and my family? But he goes. He goes full of anxiety. And they meet, Jacob and Esau meet. They meet in the field. They meet before uh, he gets all the way home. And he has one of the most beautiful encounters in Scripture. Because Esau no longer wants to attack or kill his brother. Esau hugs him. He grabs his neck and he hugs him. And Esau tells Jacob, when I saw your face, I saw the face of God. You see, in 20 years, God was working on both Jacob and Esau. Working on them both. God was doing that work on both of them. So if you feel like you've got some intractable problem in your family, something you don't think can ever, ever um, be resolved in some way, take hope. Took God 20 years for that to happen. And here's one more amazing twist in that story in the Old Testament. Esau says, let's go back home together. Let's be neighbors. Let's do our thing. And Jacob says, no, no, let's don't do that. Jacob says, why don't you go right here and I'm going to go in the far end of a country and that's where I'm going to have my ranch, right? You see, Jacob knew for their relationship to continue, they needed some space. How many of you need a little space in your family every now and then, right? That's okay. Sometimes we need physical space and relational space, and we need to know when to let go of some things. Jacob and Esau, Jacob knew that they needed that so they could love each other in freedom and not get back in the old habits. Do you see the brilliance of making healthy boundaries here? In order for healthy space, we need to love out of freedom and not guilt. And we need to look at our closest relationships. What kind of boundaries do you need to set with your family that creates healthy space so you can live and love fully and not out of a sense of guilt? They say the solar system, by the way, can teach us something about this. There's a thing called circumstellar habitable zone. It's a circumstellar habitable zone. I'll never say that word again after today. But what it means is we live on the third rock from the sun. We leave scientists, we live on a planet, on a rock that is perfectly distanced from the sun. If we were any closer, we would burn up. And if we were any further, we would burn up. You don't see life on Saturn or on Jupiter or on Mars. You know, we get some great pictures of Mars. It kind of looks like Nevada, you know. You know, and there's a little hum. Oh, listen to the hum of Mars. You listen, it's like, what? You know, um, Mars is too close. You know, Jupiter is too far away. But Earth is just about right. The Earth is the miracle of the right distance. And sometimes between the people we love, 
we need that kind of distance. We need that kind of wisdom. Jacob knew that with Esau for sure. So there's a practical side to all this. There's a, a wisdom side to all this. And if you're working through some stress in your family, kids, parents, cousins, siblings, if you're working through some stress when it comes to family, here's how you might, might can find some peace. And now I want to draw from this book, Boundaries, Dr. McLeod. He's actually from Mississippi. This is what he says. When you really have these kind of feelings, feelings are a gift to us, right? So when like somebody calls you and like you get this feeling when you see the, when you see the name, or maybe after you talk with somebody in your family, you get snappy with other people in your family, or you get frustrated, you're anxious, um, you get heartburned, whatever. Um, you got to ask yourself why. Like, why am I doing this? Because that's just a symptom, right? What's the conflict beneath the symptom that you need to get to the bottom of? Where is this coming from? Locate the conflict beneath the system, and maybe you can do something about it, the symptom, and you can do something about it. Oftentimes, it's around a boundary is what you might, might realize. You may be too far in somebody else's boundary, or they may be too far in your boundary, in your backyard. So it kind of does come back to boundaries. But once you, once you locate that, just take a small step. You don't have to establish world peace in 24 hours, right? Just take one small step. It may be figuring out when you need to say, hey, look, I can't help you with that. Or, hey, remember the last time you got me in the middle of this triangle? You know, why don't you talk to this person, right? Or, I really don't have the resources or the energy right now. So I really can't help you at this time. I mean, some of those things might be what you have to say. Whatever it is, when you do something small to bring some space into the conflict, you might find more freedom. And you might even give that other person a little more freedom to get out of maybe some codependency or whatever, whatever it is. Final thing is this. The first thing is to identify the symptoms. The second thing is to take small steps. The last thing is to lean into the family that Jesus gives you. That's us. That's us. So maybe from a Bible study or a small group or a Wednesday night or, or catching a conversation with somebody after church or before the church, maybe somebody here gives you some perspective. Maybe you think you're the only person in the world going through something and then you finally connect with somebody here and it helps you. It helps you deal with something that you thought you were trying to hold it up all on your own. You just might find from this family that the royal family problems that you think you're the only person in the world dealing with, you're not. And your family issues aren't as strange or weird as you thought they were. Maybe you draw some inspiration from somebody that's going through something so much tougher, but it helps you to deal with your own things that you need to muster up some courage with. Then you bring some of that health that you get here into those difficult parts of your family. You bring some of that courage so that now you're more forgiving and loving and patient, and kind, because of some strength that you drew from this family. Who is my family, Jesus says? But those who do, who is my mother? 
who my brother and sister, but those who do the will of my Father is what he says. You see, Jesus not only was working out the salvation of the world, he was also working on his family. And there in the Gospel of John, he is on the cross, and his mother and some of his disciples are there, and he tells his beloved disciple, Behold your mother. He tells his mother, Behold your son. Take care of my mama, Jesus said. And mom, I love you. And that's part of it. And we draw that. I, cannot, I, I can't tell you how fortunate I feel um, to have always had a church family. I mean, when my parents got a divorce and my mom left, boy, you better believe we were the talk of the town in Brookhaven. There's no telling how much fun people had talking. Well, did you hear that? And so there's my dad trying to be a Mr. Mom. You know, Liz and I joke about this. You know, the house was a mess, let me tell you. And one day my dad thought, I'm going to reward anybody who will pick up a single thing in this house while I'm at work, right? And so he put a $20 bill, folded it up beneath an empty tube of toothpaste that had been sitting on the stairs for months. Until about three months later, he gave up and he threw it away and he put the 20 right back in his pocket, right? I mean, it was just zany. And we were dealing with, you know, they call it today bipolar, but um, back in the 70s, it was manic depression. I think it's real close to the same. I'm no expert, but I think it's kind of close to the same thing. But just dealing with that kind of mental illness, and I can remember... I can remember thinking when I walked into First Methodist Church that I was projecting on people judgment and embarrassment and that everybody was judging me. Now, was that true? No. And every now and then, a Sunday school teacher or somebody who may not have been blood family, but they sure were water baptism family, would come up to me and tell me, we're thinking about you, Bruce. We love you. What do you need? And so I had this beautiful safety net so that maybe the, the particular dysfunctions of my family did not define me because I was defined by something greater. That's our job. Because I believe, believe you me, there are people who will walk in this church who will think they will feel the judgment, even though nobody's trying to judge them, right? But one of you, or two of you, or five of you are going to go out of your way and say, how are you doing? Hang in there. What can, what can we do? You are a child of God. God loves you. And when you do that, it's like Jesus on the cross. Behold your mother and your son. You are living out what Jesus is saying. So it's up to us. Work out those boundaries. Do it for yourself to find your own oxygen so that you can share the oxygen mask with somebody else who needs it. Take care of your family issues. Because this church needs you as healthy as you can possibly be so that you might recognize the wounds in other people and tell them 
that they are indeed family. That's all I got today. Wednesday night, we're talking about friends. So come join us for about a 10-minute uh, thing on friends on Wednesday night. Hope you're getting some things out of this. Just remember, just as, just as physical boundaries are important in this life, spiritual boundaries are important as well. So we're tending to our fences. Not walls, fences with gates. Let us close in our worship and stand and sing our closing hymn. Let us stand and sing.